Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First United Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 9 o'clock or 10.30 a.m. To learn more about First United Methodist, visit us online at fumcopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at fumcopelika. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, the first is the Pentecost story from Acts chapter 2 that we read at the beginning of our service. But the second scripture uh, comes to us from Romans chapter 3. Uh, Romans chapter 3. And once again, I would invite you as you are able to stand for the reading of God's Word. <coughs> Brace yourselves. There is no one who is righteous. Not even one. There is no one who has understanding. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness. There is not even one. Their throats are open graves. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of vipers is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery are in their path. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now here's the good news, friends. But now, but now, irrespective of the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Spirit of the Spirit of the living God. 
Come, Holy Spirit. For if you are with us, nothing else matters. And if you are not with us, nothing else matters. Amen. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. As you certainly know by now, uh, today is Pentecost Sunday. And as is our custom, uh, we began our service uh, by reading from Luke's sequel, from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 2. And there we find the disciples back together again in the upper room, back together again in the same place they had been with Jesus the night he was betrayed. And outside the upper room, Jerusalem is humming with energy. Outside the upper room, uh, it is like burger wars in downtown Opelika. Uh, thousands of pilgrims from across the Jewish diaspora have descended upon Jerusalem for this grand occasion. And suddenly, Luke tells us that there's a sound. Not a sound like a still, small voice, but a sound like a violent, rushing wind. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit descends like fire, and everyone starts speaking. And even though they're speaking in different languages, everyone understands. Everyone comprehends. But all of these different languages, but everyone understands. Everyone comprehends. It's incredible. Alabama fans and Auburn fans understand one another. The Democrats and Republicans understand one another. Boomers and Millennials understand one another. Those who binge watched Stranger Things last week and those who don't know what a Netflix is understand one another. Parents and their 13-year-olds. The Holy Spirit descends, everyone starts speaking, and everyone understands. Everyone comprehends. Uh, this is often referred to as the, the miracle of Pentecost. Uh, the miracle of Pentecost. But I want to suggest to you this morning that that's not the real miracle. I mean, sure, speaking and understanding, listening and comprehending across differences, that does require the work of the Holy Spirit, especially in our world today. But I'm not convinced that this is the real miracle of what if the Holy Spirit is up to something else? What if there is another Pentecost miracle happening right before our eyes? So, back to the story. Now, all this commotion, uh, the wind and the fire, the, the speaking and the comprehending, all this commotion uh, gathers a, a crowd in the street. A crowd gathers, but they soon begin to gripe. Uh, they begin to hoist accusations. Oh, those Christians, uh, don't pay them any attention. Uh, they've just been drinking again. Which is the last time anyone accused Christians of being fun. But in that moment, Peter steps out. He steps out and he begins to preach. Now, just as a refresher, do you remember where we left Peter in this story? Back when they were in the same upper room, the night Jesus was betrayed. Do you remember where we left Peter in this story? Jesus 
Uh, surely you've got the wrong guy. I don't know anyone named Jesus. <clears throat> and the rooster crowed. But now, the Holy Spirit descends and propels Peter to preach. Luke wants you to see that Peter is not acting of his own accord. Peter is being acted upon. There is an unseen agency at work. The Holy Spirit is at work compelling Peter to preach. And what does he say? They're not drunk, as you suppose. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. God is pouring out his spirit upon all flesh so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But he keeps going. He says, this Lord is Jesus of Nazareth, the one whom you crucified, but God has raised him from the dead for our salvation and made him Lord. When the crowd heard this, the scripture says they were cut to the heart. Again, note the passive voice. They were cut to the heart. They're being acted upon, convicted by the Holy Spirit. And that very day, scripture says, 3,000 were baptized, added to the people of God. Hold that number in your mind. I mean, can you even picture it? Hold that number in your mind. 3,000 people were saved. Friends, I believe that is the miracle of Pentecost. But to truly understand this miracle, to truly comprehend the significance of what the Holy Spirit is doing, uh, we've got to take a step back and ask ourselves a question, and that is this. Why have all these people come to Jerusalem in the first place? Why are all these thousands of people in Jerusalem? Because it's not for touch a truck. <laughs> Why are they there? The answer, you'll see this on the screen, the answer is Shavuot. Shavuot, the Jewish festival of weeks. Seven weeks, 50 days, 50 as in Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. And this is the Jewish holiday that brings Peter and the disciples and the crowd of thousands of pilgrims to Jerusalem to celebrate. And just so we're clear, they're not there waiting on the Holy Spirit. They're not there praying for the Holy Spirit. They're there to celebrate Shavuot, the holy day where they remember God giving them the law in Mount Sinai. Uh, you're astute readers of Scripture. I mean, you know this story, right? At least part of it. On that very first Shavuot, it's in Exodus 32, Moses ascends to the top of Mount Sinai to meet with God. Moses ascends to Sinai to receive the law from God, the Torah, which begins, you shall have no other gods before me. Meanwhile, you know the story. What's happening down below? And meanwhile, the Israelites down below are busy making idols. And when Moses comes down and he sees the golden calf, he orders the Levites to draw their swords and kill the idolaters. 3,000 of them. Do you see it now? It's not incidental that Luke concludes his Pentecost story by telling you that 3,000 were added to God's people. 
When Luke tells you that 3,000 were added to God's people on this Shavuot, this Pentecost day, he wants you to remember the 3,000 who were subtracted from God's people on that Shavuot, on that Pentecost day. This, friends, is the miracle of Pentecost, where 3,000 once committed idolatry, 3,000 now believe. 3,000 have come And it can only be described as a miracle. It can only be described as the work of the Holy Spirit. Because those people in the crowd listening to Peter, uh, let's be honest, they're human just like we are. They're human just like the people on the foot of Mount Sinai. They're no different. They're every bit as susceptible to idols. They're every bit as prone to unbelief and unfaithfulness. Heck, they crucified Jesus just over a month ago. Luke wants you to see in this Pentecost story the undoing of that Pentecost story. And he wants you to see that it's God's doing. It is the Holy Spirit's work to bring about faith. It is the Holy Spirit's work. He wants you to see this is God's faithfulness in the midst of our unfaithfulness. He wants you to see this is God overcoming our unbelief. Luke wants you to see that this new 3,000, it is the living God's doing. It is the Holy Spirit's work. That the same Holy Spirit who compelled Peter to preach, that same Holy Spirit creates in Peter's listeners things. It's a Pentecost miracle. The miracle of God's doing, not our own. I believe Luke wants you to see in Acts chapter 2 what Paul tells us in Romans 3. I mean, you heard the scripture. You probably didn't like it, but you heard it. It makes us all a little uncomfortable, right? But when we turn to Romans, uh, Paul begins his letter by announcing the good news, and then he braces us for the bad news. And for the rest of chapter 1, all of chapter 2, and the beginning of chapter 3, Paul begins to bear down as he surveys the extent of our captivity. As he surveys the extent of our sin. And what he says is that every sin stems from that same sin at Sinai. The sin of idolatry. The sin of that first Shavuot. He says that our every sin stems from the sin of idolatry. Our failure to worship the one true God. This is the sin that begets our wickedness and our malice. It's the sin that gives rise to our greed and our lust and our violence. It is this sin that spawns our slander and our deceit. For three chapters, Paul is unrolling the rap sheet of our sin until none of us are left unindicted. All have sinned, Paul says. Religious and unreligious alike. No one is righteous, Paul admits. Not a single one. No one seeks God. No one desires peace. Our mouths are quick to curse. Our hands are quick to stuff our own pockets. Our feet are quick to shed blood. Paul says that none of us are any different from the 3,000 at the foot of Mount Sinai, that first shout. There's no distinction, Paul says. We're all ungodly. And so for three chapters, Paul keeps raising the stakes. He keeps tightening the screws and shining the spotlight hotter and brighter on our crimes, implicating each and every one of us, until what you expect to hear next from Paul is if. If 
If you turn away from sin, if you turn towards God, if you repent, if you plead for God's mercy, if you seek God's forgiveness, if then, if then, then God will justify. That's what you expect. You expect Paul to say if. Paul unrolls this rap sheet until all of our names are indicted. And admit it, some of you are getting nervous because this sounds like a Baptist altar call is coming. <laughs> and the word you accept next is if. If you come to the altar. If you do this. If you do that. But the word that is found at the crescendo of Paul's letter in chapter 3 isn't if. It's but. But now. But now, irrespective of the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. But now, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are justified by his grace as a gift. Paul is saying, but now, meaning apart from your religious duty. But now, apart from your good behavior and pious posture, but now the saving power of God has invaded our world. The power of God to set this world right. But now, there couldn't be a bigger but. Pause for laughter. <laughs> Friends, this is why I worked up this morning. It's not the coffee or the cupcakes. This but now, it is the hinge upon which the gospel turns. This but now is a fish-hook-shaped word that catches us all. We're all unrighteous, but now. We've all, we all fallen short, but now. We're all captive to sin, but now. We're all deserving of the same fate as those idolaters on the foot of Mount Sinai, but now. Now, the rectifying power of God has invaded our world without a single if. All have sinned, but now we are being saved. But now, look what God has done. But now, see what God is doing. But now, the gospel it is all gift, all the way down. You know this because you know the song. You once were lost, but now you've been found. So let's be clear. You didn't find Jesus. He wasn't missing. <laughs> you've been found because God in Christ sought you out and bought you with his blood. And friends, here's why this is good news for us today. Our lives are littered with ifs. Think about it. Our lives are littered with ifs. If you make it up to me, then I'll forgive you. If you promise not to spend it on drugs, then I'll give you a handout. If I'm just a better spouse, maybe he or she will stop drinking so much. If I get better grades, then I can get into that school. If I get that job, if I get that promotion, then she'll be proud of me. 
our lives are littered with ifs. This if-then conditionality, it is hardwired into us. And friends, we do it with God, too. We do it with God, too. If you do X, then God will do Y. If you serve, if you pray, if you give, then God will. Friends, that gets the order wrong. God's grace is all gift, and our part is only ever response to what God in Christ has done. God doesn't wait for us to rescue us. Thanks be to God. Right? We said it this morning. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Grace, therefore, is not an if-then. It is a but-now. The whole point of Paul's big but-now is to show you that faith and belief and repentance and service, it's all response to God's gracious doing. It's all response to the gift of salvation. Faith is the Holy Spirit's work. And our only job is to respond. Which is good news. Because it means whatever measure of faith you came in here uh, this morning, you came with this morning, Whatever measure of faith you walked through the door with this morning, that faith is the Holy Spirit's doing, and hear me say, it's enough. Whatever faith you came in with this morning, whether your faith this morning is as small as a mustard seed or as massive as a mountain, it's enough. And it is the Holy Spirit's work. It is proof that God has invaded your life without a single death. It's proof that the balance sheet of your life has been set right. Not by anything you've done, by what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And if you can say amen to that this morning, that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life right now. It's evidence of another Pentecost miracle happening right before our eyes. And all we're asked to do is respond. <coughs> and a good place to start is to come to the table. To taste and see and trust that this news is too good not to be true. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Son. Okay.